I'm not going to lie. I was my head was not in the right space um, to do this, <laughs> but uh, things have turned around very rapidly in about ten minutes. So that's exciting. That's that's fast acting. It's not tough acting because I didn't take that. <laughs> but it is quick. Shout out to Tylenol. I mean, yes. Yeah. If Tylenol you want to sponsor is... this podcast, <laughs> please shout out email. to acetaminophen, the generic painkiller found in Tylenol and other popular medications that you buy in the grocery store. <laughs> We'll take any and all opportunities. Especially from major pharmaceuticals. <laughs> yeah, that's... We want to get into big pharma. That's Give me our, the big pharma our, money. That's endgame right there. Yeah, let, let me just completely violate all of my own ethics. Please. Let's, let's, let's skip over... Let's, let's jump over mattresses. Let's, yes. let's skip over coffee. Let's, uh-huh. let's just get all around all of the let's, normal let's, podcast ads and just go for big pharma. Yeah, man. Let's dance around in slow motion in a circle in our backyard. Let's, <laughs> uh, let's make silly faces at each other in the mirror. Let's uh, have a candlelit dinner party in our backyard and ignore the long list of side effects being read to us mysteriously. This is uh-huh. our time. <laughs> let's let's um, sit inside the house looking all sad and sullen while everybody else is outside happy and running around and playing in the sun. Yeah. Yes. And then let's be those people playing in the sun about 40 <laughs> seconds later. We've I like where it. this is going. Yeah. No, yeah this, we've, is, this is a solid bit. We went straight to the top. We, 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 we've peaked. Show's over. Hello, everybody. It's Friday, January 15th. I stumbled over that one. And welcome to Quick Save, the saving content podcast. I'm your host, Evan Rowe. With me today, as always, is Scott Ellison. Scott, how's it going, man? It's going pretty damn great. Pretty damn great. That's, I think that's the most enthusiastic response that I've gotten out of you in nine episodes. Yeah, well, it was time. time to take things to the next level yeah okay cool time to time to ditch the uh the the emo persona and pursue Uh, something else it's you're shaking off your spider-man 3 dancing blues and yeah getting into something a little more a little more happy uh like a like a tom holland spider-man no more toby Maguire. i can dig it and it we, we don't talk about Andrew Garfield. Mm, no, we don't. Um, I have to ask, is there a particular reason that like things are so damn good or are you just having a good day? Uh, I mean, there's kind of like real world things that don't have any direct effect on me that are oh, pretty oh. pleasing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, it's, it was just a pretty good day. Good, good. I'm glad to hear it. Seven days from incitement to impeachment is a pretty quick turnaround for uh, for Congress <laughs> by yeah. government standards. I will I will give them that. I mean, not not with uh, some opposition, but you know there were there were some folks on a certain side of the fence that changed their mind, and that bodes pretty well for things. It it is a historic change. Right. Like there there has never been 
a, you know, a bipartisan impeachment of any kind in U.S. history. So, you know, it's significant. Yeah. I mean, you I'm... know. <laughs> Go ahead. It, it just, it amounts to a slap on the wrist on the permanent record for now, but it still matters. Absolutely. I'm feeling okay about that. I'm trying to ignore all the other things that are still on fire, but this is, I'll, I'll take this one. Yeah. Take what we can get. Indeed. That is important these days. I think you, you really have to just cling to the things that are good. That's uh, 2021's uh, <laughs> subtitle right now. <laughs> cling to the things that are good. <laughs> Welcome to the future. It's terrible here. Um, well, I have an important question for you. What have you been playing recently, Scott? Mm, that is a good and important question to ask. Uh, I've been playing, uh, I'm still playing Valhalla, but like the things that I'm doing in that game, like nothing really special or interesting has happened. So kind of going to skip out on that talk okay. for this week. It's still really good. Still having fun. Still working my way through it. It's just nothing really of of note has happened. Gotcha. Uh, over this past weekend, I played through the entirety of Call of the Sea. Ooh. Uh, which is an indie adventure puzzle game that came out uh, actually on my birth- birthday last month and uh, finally got around to it. And... It's really good. So that's really, um, really good. That's an Xbox Game Pass exclusive, right? Uh, For the time I, being, well, or or at least it's on the console. Is it exclusive to Xbox? I know. I it's do on believe, Game Pass. yeah, yeah. So I have it on PC. I have it on Steam. I'm not sure if it may be on Game Pass for PC as well. Um, that I'm not sure. Check. Of. Yeah, I don't know. We have the technology. What, you mean like the internet? Like the thing that lets us search for stuff? I mean, like, and maybe like a dedicated uh, Game Pass app that can tell you these things? Yeah, I mean, if you bothered to load that up. That that sounds like it would take some effort. It takes a little longer than it should, I'll tell you that. Well, you you tell me about about Call of the Sea, and I'll, I'll look into this. So, the game starts off um, kind of giving you some exposition on kind of who you are, what's going on. You're on a boat. You're, you're on your way to try to find your husband who's gone on this extensive expedition to find a cure for a disease that's been ailing you for a really long time. And it's had kind of severe impacts on your relationship, your kind of in your day-to-day life. Um, it kind of manifests as like a um psoriasis kind of thing hmm. uh you have these like black spots all over you but it's not really clear on what it is doctors have no clue but your husband's gone missing you don't want anything to happen to him much less anything to yourself sure uh while you're separated so uh you head to the south pacific this all takes place in the 1930s okay and so you, you get on a boat, you make your way there, and what kind of follows is a is you kind of going through all of the locations that the people on this expedition uh, were at before you get there, 
or after you get there. And so you're kind of retracing their steps. You're seeing, um, you know, gravestones of people who didn't make it. You're, you're, uh, I guess what's happened is like the puzzles that were solved for them to progress reset. That's why you have to like go through it yourself. Sure. Uh, but the game does a really good job of uh, taking notes for you. So this is not the kind of game where you're drawing out maps or you're uh, drawing glyphs to kind of make your own notes. The game will do all of that for you. So long as you look at everything and you read through everything and maybe you listen to every audio log that then the game will do the work for you and then it's just so much as uh just you know pressing tab to pull up the the journal and you can bounce between notes and kind of uh log uh entry information okay i've heard that this game has a whole lot of uh like narration from the main character is that accurate yeah so the main character is actually um you play as Nora, um, but the... That's my dog's name. <laughs> you play as your dog. Yep. Now, I'm, for for the rest of the time you're talking about the game, I'm going to imagine my dog. Good. For some reason, has a human husband. Hey, I mean, 1930s <laughs> were very different. I stumped you with that one. I, I don't know. I was going to... Like, I didn't want to go weird with it, so I really had to think... Uh, but, but weird is fun. Anyway, weird is fun. continue. Um, so the uh, Nora is voiced by the same uh, actress who was in Firewatch. Uh, oh. The, the other guard in the other tower. Yeah. No, I, I rather liked her performance in that game. Or Ranger in the other tower, I should say. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so she actually does a British accent here and... Uh, very convincing and really well done. There's some really cool backstory beats, uh, callbacks, and, and things like that that take place. But it's a gorgeous-looking game kind of backed by a really gorgeous art style. Uh, like, they had this vision of what this was going to look like, and it just... The colors and the light just really pop off the screen. Cool. It is... It is a mesmerizing game, hmm. and it it really doesn't take long to get immersed. Like kind of the moment you are in full control to kind of start walking around the island and do things, like you feel it. Sound design is great. Like it has that whole like soundscape of what you would imagine an island. You've got ocean waves crashing behind you as you you know just brought your uh, rowboat ashore. You've got you know birds flying around. And uh, the game will like put little eyeballs on things that you can interact with. Mm-hmm. So that lets you know that like this is either important or this is going to be just something that they maybe are observing that they want to talk about, but it may not be directly related. Uh, the puzzle there's six chapters in the game, which kind of take place in six different locations of the island. Mm-hmm. And, they all have their own like themes and rules and it will, you know, there's obviously the, the note taking aspect that it does, but all of the, the puzzles that you'll come across are rather intuitive. I would say the, the first half of the game 
is a lot easier than the second half. Uh, the first half, I feel like it's, it's a lot easier to pick up on what you're supposed to be doing or how a puzzle should be solved. Mm-hmm. Whereas the second half, it starts to back off in terms of giving you hints as to what should you should do. It starts becoming right. less intuitive. And I don't think that's necessar- necessarily a bad thing. It just, there is a halfway point where it switches Mm-hmm. And it's kind of jarring, okay, because it just stops holding your hand. Um, I mean, the note taking stuff still happens, but it's it just becomes a lot less clear on what you're supposed to do. Gotcha. Um, two questions. One, how long roughly does it take to complete this game? Uh, about six hours. Okay. And so the second thing being, uh, like how would you compare the puzzle solving in call of the sea to like any other puzzle game? Like, does it relate to any other games that you've played or is it like, I'm assuming it's mostly environmental stuff, but I I don't know. It is environmental stuff. Uh, I mean, you will come across like, Oh, this thing isn't powered and I need to go give it power. So I need to trace cables and I need to, uh, uh, turn on breakers and things like that. But there are, puzzles embedded with that so one of the things was like for the generator that gives the power you actually had to go around to the back where there's these holes and adjust it to uh, where in sequence a when you go back to the other side of it and push it in that it it like connects and holds it in place because if it doesn't go through the hole then it bounces off but if sure. you don't go in a certain order, then it doesn't uh, it doesn't retain what it's supposed to. Uh, mm-hmm. Shortly after that, there's another puzzle similar to, and this is really my only frame of reference, Mist, where you had to <laughs> uh, do the 59 volts thing. Uh-huh. There's a similar thing where you just can't overpower the generator, so you have to hit a certain sequence of buttons to give it the right amount of power. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there are things like that, but there are other things where it's a timed puzzle where you have to send like these uh, currents um, at certain intervals because one like one current is a straight line, but another current has like squiggles, and then another current has like just like these ninety degree turns. And so you kind of have to time each one so that they all connect at the same time. And I mean, if is there's that fun, it's not bad. Okay. I wouldn't say it's fun though. I, I wasn't sure if that would be something that might be like kind of tedious or if that's like you know okay in terms of puzzle design. But um, no, I thought it was fine. I, I wasn't too bothered. It was just kind of weird at first because you weren't it seemed more like, oh, maybe I need to get one side in over another. Mm -hmm. And it gets more complex later at some point. Like you start off with like two and then it goes to four, which doesn't sound that complex, but to get that timing right, it does. Yeah. Uh, Then there's a like, then there's one where it's about uh, sound. So Mm -hmm. you'll, it's basically Simon, but it's all sound based. Okay. And there's no kind of, uh, I guess, like teaching opportunity for it. So it just kind of throws you in. And 
the moment you press a button, it, the thing makes a sound and then it starts to apply the Simon Says part of it and it starts giving you sounds back. But you, ha- of the three notes you're given, you haven't even tried the other two yet. So it's a little weird in that respect. Mm-hmm. But once you know what each one sounds like, uh, which are uh, the notes are distinguishable but they're very close together so it's very easy to hear one sound and think it's another okay so it's it's tricky in that way but not necessarily complex or anything like that but by the end of that puzzle um it is a long string to remember and Uh if you mess up you start all the way over cool great sounds that sounds fun it's fine it's it's frustrating it's definitely frustrating but it, it, it is fine okay uh are there, are there any of, lots of variety that's good are, are there any like standout moments or like standout puzzles that like really stuck with you that like left a positive impression or is it more about kind of the exploration and the atmosphere in the story uh it is more about that but i would i wouldn't say that there was like a particular puzzle that did something like that did something uh especially well but there was in the third chapter it takes place at night and it's raining and storming um it is also kind of a musical puzzle in and of itself Um, but basically when you get near the end of it you have to uh, organize obviously this puzzle in a way that reveals uh, a series of steps and the presentation of how the uh, steps form and come out of the water and reshape is just really cool to see in motion. And then you are then guided to a platform where you do one final version of that Mm -hmm. and an even bigger version of the steps forming takes place to reveal the opening and where you know you transition from this chapter to the next sure happens and it's just a really big spectacle and i really liked it nice so chapter three for me like for like an atmospheric uh puzzle solving kind of thing like i feel like that one was the best one that it had on offer uh just because it kind of was so different from the rest because you spend like the course of three days there but it you know transitions from you know being like sunny and then like it's the next day and it's foggy and then you have this night one um and it's raining and then you've got like a clearing map level the next day or whatever Mm -hmm. It's it's really fun. It's not that long. Um, there are reasons to go back. So if you finish the game, uh, there is an alternate ending that you can do, which can also be um, accessible if you make a save at the right time. You can save anywhere you want. Um, but there are collectibles of different kinds. So there are reasons to revisit prior levels to get 100% completion uh, for the whole game. But... Even with that said, like, no more than probably 12 hours before you've seen and done everything there is. Okay. Cool. Is this is this a game you would recommend to folks who are interested or who have Game Pass or... Yeah, if you have thing? Game Pass, if, if you've 
if you enjoy puzzle games, uh, especially first-person puzzle games, um, and don't mind the hand-holding nature of the game taking the notes for you, I think that's fine. Um, I've the end, either ending is really satisfying, and I think there uh, there's some really cool uh, revelations that take place, especially in the final chapter, that I think make the journey worth it. Uh, a lot of times, you know, you hear like it's all about the journey, not the destination. But I yeah, think in this sure. case, like the destination was kind of what you came for, and I think what you get when you reach the end is is really worthwhile and it goes in places that i don't think many other games do nice that's cool well uh i still have game pass so if it's on the pc then i will have to check that out you should maybe i will uh what else have you been playing (laughs) uh so i picked up another game uh near the end of the steam sale i had seen it recommended as like like any games you shouldn't miss from 2020 kind of thing mm-hmm. kind of things that came out from some people's lists and one of them was slasher's keep okay i've never uh, heard of this so i feel like i've heard of it before but it it somehow just kind of slipped by me uh it came out in november it's fully released uh it is a dungeon crawler uh, roguelike but mm-hmm. it is done from the first person perspective and it's got a hand-drawn art style so imagine like the dungeons of like an elder scrolls game or even like classic dungeon crawlers oh. like labyrinth or uh, uh legend of grimrock yep yeah i was gonna say grimrock i'm looking at some screenshots here uh it all happens in real time so uh, <gasps> like the games like uh i did I mean to say Labyrinth? I think I meant to say Wizardry. Wizardry okay. and Legend of Grimrock, those are like you you uh, move in a grid. Yep. This is fully free form. Uh, you've got a sprint, and it's got some really cool things going on. So uh, the first of which is like the, the way that combat works. So you can have like a sword or like a mace or mm-hmm. like a um, a flail or whatever. And you block with that. You don't get a shield or anything like that, but you block with it. And, the, and when you hold up block, the enemies will sort of telegraph uh, which arm they're going to attack you with, like whether it be they, you know, swing at you with a sword or they're going to punch you in the face. If you hold up block and turn towards that arm, you'll fully block their attack and then you can counterattack with them. Uh, the same can also happen if if you swing your sword at the same time that they do, they'll actually clash okay. and uh, both prevent each other from uh, giving damage. So like, sort of like a parry? Sort of like a parry, but like not so elegant, I guess. Yeah. Like it's not clumsy in any way. It's just, right. it is purely a different kind of block. Right. It, it, yeah, exactly. Like it's a, it's a, it's an offensive block that doesn't give you the opportunity to like follow up. Right. It's just a. Right. Literally just clanging bits. And did you ever play um, uh, Might and Magic uh, Dark Messiah? No, I never did. I missed out on that one. 
that's a really good one. If honestly, it, I played through that game like, sorry, Dark Messiah of Might and Magic. Oh yeah, you don't want to mess that up. Uh, that's an arcane joint before Dishonored became Dishonored. Oh, and uh, it's before, totally worth before arcane now. became the studio. What made Dishonored? Uh huh. Yeah. Before six. Yeah, I didn't realize it was that old. It is old, but it runs on the Source engine. I feel old. And one of the like trademark things about Dark Messiah was it had a dedicated kick button. Oh. Uh, and in that game, there would be plenty of cliffs and an overabundance of spiked walls yeah. to which you could kick your enemies into. Nice. And Slasher's Keep kind of brings that into play here. There aren't... Uh, as many egregious amounts of spike walls, but there are plenty of them for you to... Uh, and what, what's funny about this is that you don't have a dedicated kick button, but rather in your left hand is your loot sack. And so you'll swing your loot sack into the enemy, which does the knockback. So you, you bop them with your sack is what you're saying. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Good. That's uh, great. And those I are insta-kills. Insta uh, so if you can not only time it, but also, you know, get them into the right position and, and land it, that's an instant kill, which Ooh. if it's a particularly difficult enemy later in, in the game, that will prove to be very helpful. Uh, there are obviously like you get money, you can pick up upgrades. There's a shop where you can buy upgrades with, uh, what you've collected, there's also a garbage chute. So the game uh, starts you off on level one and you work your way to level 10. Uh, levels being floors. Sure. And there are garbage chutes uh, on every level to where you can actually send old gear to the first floor so that when you're, if you and uh, either you know complete the game or die, your follow-up character will be able to get all of those weapons that you sent down the chute. That is fascinating. Do those persist See, across multiple runs or is it only the next one? It is only the next one. Smart. That's probably the right way to do that. Uh, but there is persis persistence in your character's level. So if you are leveling things up, you will continue to persist. You can perma-learn certain skills. Uh, there are skills that you obtain through items that you pick up like uh, there's swords that will give you health back mm -hmm. uh, for each kill that you do um, and, and various things like that. You also have the ability for ranged attacks, but that is only possible if you pick up a wand. So wands are just shooting a comically uh, stylized star out uh, towards enemies and that gives you your range. Mm -hmm. uh, because by the like the third and fourth level of of the dungeon, you will start to encounter um, like healer mages who okay. will start to heal a room of enemies. Um, so you've got to focus on getting the caster, but getting to them is probably going to be an issue. So that's where your range comes into play. Sure, that makes sense. But wands have a limited casting uh, cap, so. Typically, you'll see a wand have like 12 casts that it can do before it breaks. And when it breaks, it's gone. 
you have to pick up another one to be able to do ranged, ranged attacks again. Got it. Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of it. Like, there's nothing too complex to the game. It's not super hard. I mean, I've definitely... I get greedy a lot in these kind of games, so I've never <laughs> actually completed a run. I see. But it is absolutely not, like disheartening to like start over like it's probably more exciting to start over to be honest yeah i mean there's there's something fun about the the beginning of a new run right and then especially if you know you've given yourself a leg up with some good stuff in the garbage chute yeah if, if you take care of yourself then you'll be fine uh you do get options to save in each level so there will be a uh feather and a journal that you can click on which will provide you a, a checkpoint that you can reload so you don't have to like start from a level over or like start a completely new run nice cool. uh, it will auto save at every new floor as well but yeah i'm i'm super enjoying it it's it's a it's that kind of game where you can just load it up and play it for like 10 15 minutes and then put it down and either you know you've got something else to do or like i don't know your game finishes downloading or whatever, but like this is just kind of a chill game to to load up, and it's it's really fun. I I don't know how I missed this one, but it's it's something that you shouldn't overlook. That's cool. Yeah, that sounds really fun, uh, especially the fact that it's so easy to pick it up and put it back down and do something else. Um, do you know roughly how many levels there are to like a full run? As far as I know, it's just the ten floors. So oh, okay. if you complete the 10 floors, you've beaten the game, as far as I know. How close have you gotten? Uh, I've gotten to level six. Okay. Okay. And then you get greedy. Yeah. And then I get super greedy. Does, uh, does the I'm greed also, show up exactly at level six? Or like, what's, how does that work out exactly? No. I mean, like, I would even say by like level three or four, I'm like really starting to get greedy because it's like, I know my weapons are good, but also the enemies are now becoming tougher. Right. They're taking a lot longer to kill. So what ends up happening is like I develop a strategy of like, okay, it's like one, two, block, one, two, block, one, okay, they're dead. But but I don't modify that strategy. Mm. So now I'm coming across enemies that have like swords in their hands. So one, two, block doesn't work anymore because it's one, they take a swing at me, I get hit. Mm-hmm. Or it's like I do one, two, oh, they didn't charge up an attack. Okay, one, two, three, four, and then then they wallop me. You right. know, it's like I, I'm not really adapting as well as I probably should be. Got but it. I'm just I'm getting so caught up in, in like the fun and the moment of everything that like I don't care to even bother because it's just I don't know. It's it's just one of these games that like I just kind of turn my brain off and just hack and slash at shit. I mean, that's, it sounds like that's kind of all that game needs to be, right? Like, obviously, you do want to try and get all the way through that or through it. But if, if the fun is in the moment to moment combat, and if you're enjoying taking the risks, then, then why not? Like, it, yeah, that's fine. That's a legit way to play that game. Absolutely. Uh, I will eventually buckle down and, and complete the run, but yeah. Uh, there are multiple classes, and uh, there's a, a good amount of uh, customization that you can do. There's actually a crafting element that I've not 
honestly spent any time with. Um, but yeah, cool. I, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, no, it was that, actually on sale like a week or so ago. And it still I is. I talked, okay. I wish I had talked about it earlier, but yeah. Yeah. I, I looked, it's, it's still on sale on steam. Um, I, I was looking at screenshots. It looks really neat. Like I love the visual style of this and I don't know, like, I don't know if this is actually true, but it gives me the impression that like, yes, it's a dungeon crawler uh, in the vein of something like Grimrock, but it almost feels like because of the visuals, it's not like it's any less hard, but it just like maybe a little more lighthearted and, and like a less um, stressful experience with that. Yeah, absolutely. All of those things really nice. This is cool. I want to check this out. Oh, there Oh, I lied. One it's, last not, thing. it's not on sale anymore. <laughs> oh, one last thing though, before I, I I leave this conversation of this game. Okay. Uh, there are loot goblins, and ah, actually the, sold the, sold. The only way to beat them is the uh, aforementioned bop them with your sack. Oh well, that's appropriate, right? Like, but it is it is a room actually filled with spike walls, so it is nigh impossible to to come out of there without having done it. I um, see. I see. That's pretty and great. So that's kind of that's where you really start to get like really good gear and it really sets you up for uh the next level because really that loot goblin drops a key and then that key opens the gate that takes you to the next level. Excellent. So it's it's not only like hard to miss but it's just like it, it is so satisfying. That's awesome. Anytime you put a good loot goblin in a game like it just elevates the experience just knowing that it could happen. Absolutely. Very cool. What about you? What are you What are you playing? Well, uh, let's see. Um, the main thing I wanted to talk about this week was uh, I checked out the Monster Hunter Rise demo on the Nintendo Switch. Um, and granted, this demo came out, I think, last week. Uh, so I'm like a little behind. But you know, this is like a return somewhat to what monster hunter has been for many years up until monster hunter world, which is a almost primarily mobile focused game, right? Or not mobile, but portable. Um, cause yeah, you know, many releases of monster hunter on the three DS. Um, I think there was a Wii U, there were some Wii U monster hunters, uh, and there was even, I think there was a Wii Monster Hunter as well, but like, you know, the really popular ones where it started to really gain a lot more traction in the West were the 3DS entries. Um, mm-hmm. And then World came out and World sort of changed the paradigm in the sense of like, okay, yes, we still divide the map up into separate areas, um, but you no longer have to like go through a loading sequence or like a quick like, you know, load out, load in to traverse into a different section of the map, right? And it kind of opened things up. It made the world feel more vibrant, more populated, like more of a like a modern approach to Monster Hunter, right? Um, and so when Capcom announced that Monster Hunter Rise was going to be coming to the Switch this year, well, they announced it last year, but it's coming out this year. Um, you know, the immediate thought was like, okay, well, how are they going to make now that they've they've put Monster Hunter World out there and that this is a known quantity that people like, how are they going to adapt this and make it, you know, interesting and playable on the Switch without compromising too much, right? Um, mm-hmm. And 
I was a little skeptical of it, even having seen some early footage. Uh, and, you know, this game is running on the RE engine, right? Like Capcom's engine that kind of powers all their stuff, but, you know, named for the tech that drives the Resident Evil games. Um, I think I think World is is running on that as well. Okay. Um, and, you know, it's, what's interesting about the RE engine to me is like, it's a it's a really impressive game engine because it does so much and I think it's really pretty well optimized um, and I kind of tend to forget that uh, and when I was seeing early screenshots of Rise and I think even uh, some clips from a Nintendo Direct from a few months ago I, this was also right around the time that the whole you know Mario 3D All Stars thing was happening and people were like, oh, yeah. why are they cutting this off at March 2021? This is weird. And why is Monster Hunter Rise coming out around that same time? Uh, and so in my head, I'm like, okay, well, if these rumors of an upgraded Switch are true, uh, coming out in, you know, like end of Q1 slash beginning of Q2 in 2021, um, then perhaps Monster Hunter Rise will be an exclusive to the upgraded hardware, right? Because what oh, I had sure. seen... Selling the, the game that sells the system. Exactly. Uh, or, or, yeah. Um, what I had seen of it, it almost looked too good to be running on current Switch hardware, right? I was like, this is, this is oddly impressive. Um, so I was very skeptical when I sat down with the demo earlier this week. Um, and I was really surprised to discover that that game looks really good on the current Switch. Um, and, it, you know, it runs at a solid 30 frames a second, which on that platform is also impressive. And you can you can see the places where they've chosen to kind of pull back on detail and like the amount of geometry. But honestly, like that game looks way better than it has any right to on that platform. Like <laughs> I, I am I am really impressed with what they've done. Um, and it maintains that whole open seamless area like without any load points uh that you get from monster hunter world right so you go into this area and the map is still divided up into zones and i was seeing this and i was like okay this is you know they're gonna make me do the old school thing and they don't they don't at all you just run around and it's fantastic um like they have they have made a contemporary monster hunter on the nintendo switch by all accounts um and that's pretty rad uh was your there, experience in handheld or docked mode? So this was docked and this was playing. Yeah, I was playing this on my TV and I had that thought and I, I'm going to test that out this weekend. I'm going to, I only did, I did like the, the tutorial quest that kind of explains some of the new systems they've added. And I did the first like beginner level early monster hunt. Uh, there's another quest you can do. Um, that's like a more difficult, but still very much like beginner grade monster. Um, so I'm going to do that one. And I'm going to try that one handheld this weekend. Um, and I'm curious to see that as well. And results moving between handheld and docked modes on the Switch are kind of a mixed bag across different games, right? Like some games do better with docked mode because they utilize the extra power uh, to mm -hmm. to be able to draw more frames. Um, some games take a hit because, um, you know, they, they scale up their resolution right? Because uh, the clock speeds yeah. uh, go higher when you have more power to draw from. Uh, but they they can't make up a performance difference. And, you know, I mean, 
I guess that's the question that I, I don't know the answer to yet. Uh, and I haven't looked into this is like, I don't know what resolution the game is running at when it's docked. Um, it could very well be 720 or like so it could, it could be somewhere between 720 and 1080, right? It might not actually be running at full 1080. Uh, cause most truthfully, most switch games do not run at full 1080 when they're docked. Um, so they may be ensuring, uh, a solid frame rate by, you know, kind of hitting a lower number, uh, could be a variable resolution. I'm not sure, but either way it looks good. Uh, and I didn't see any dips, uh, and it felt really good to play. Um, so I'm going to be, I'll compare that and see if the handheld mode kind of is, is similar or if it, you know, takes a performance hit or anything. Um, but yeah, it's cool. Like it's, this seems like a totally viable monster hunter game on the switch, which I think is, you know, if you're a fan of that series and if you have a switch, that's exactly what you want to hear. Right. Um, especially if you're primarily a Nintendo person and you got kind of got left out on the cold on monster hunter world. Um, this is, this is a chance for you to get some of that. Um, and it, it keeps some of the same things where like, you know, monsters can and will fight each other and you could take advantage Mm of that. Um, they've added, uh, they've added a second type of pet called a Palamute and that's, you know, just a dog. Um, but you can ride it and it acts like a mount that you can use to get from place to place, which is really nice. Uh, so you can traverse levels a lot faster. Um, you can, you can do a lot of stuff while you're on it too. I think you can attack and you know you can use items and, um, that's kind of nice. And they'll still fight alongside your Palico, um, when you're not mount mounted on it. And when you're engaged with a monster during a hunt, um, and they've added a new mechanic. Uh, so you remember when we were playing World, like there'd be kind of like some insects, like glowy insects floating around in the world that you could get buffs from. Yeah. So they've kind of expanded on that a little bit. And there's there's still some more of that around the map. Uh, you can get things that give you defensive boost. You can get things that give you attack boost, health boosts temporarily for the course of the hunt. Um, they've also added these things called wire bugs. And these are like, you always have two charges on it. And I mean, okay, I'll compare it this way because it's something I've been playing also recently, but you know how in Spider-Man on the PlayStation, <laughs> like, you know, your gadget has a certain number of charges. Yep. It, it's kind of like that. Like you okay. have a limited number of charges for your wire bug. It, those charges come back over time naturally. Um, <clears throat> and, and it's like almost purely about traversal. So you can aim them, to like get up places and like climb or shoot yourself forward. There's a couple of special moves you can execute with them and you can use them to harness a monster and like write it. So like, yeah, like it literally acts like you're tying the thing up and like slapping some reins around it and (sighs) you can jump on top of it and ride it around and use it to fight another monster. Um, which is pretty badass. (laughs) Uh, the, I think it's called, uh, the skill is called wyvern writing. Cause like technically all the monsters in the game are wyverns, um, which is like a thing I didn't know until recently, but, um, I don't think I knew that either. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a really, um, unexpected and really fun addition to the gameplay. Uh, I was, I had no idea it was even in the game until I saw a button prompt for it. And I said, okay, let's, let's see what this is about. And the next thing I know I'm piloting this giant creature, uh, and using it to do tail swipes and big old chonky bites out of the thing that I'm hunting. And I was like, this is badass. Um, okay. Yeah. So I, what I don't know is because the way the demo is structured is, you literally just select the quest you're going to do for the demo from a screen. 
and it's just a list mm. and they limit you to doing no more than 30 quest runs, which is kind of hilarious because literally what you have is a tutorial and two hunts. So, you know, I guess if you are really digging it and you really want to play those things to death, you can, um, it would give you the chance to explore more of the map, uh, and take your time and see what else is there. Um, yeah. but, but you know, like realistically, most people are going to play one or two hunts and be good. Um, so what I don't know is if they're going to do like hub areas like monster hunter, uh, world has, and well, not just world, like all of them have this. Um, so presumably there will be something similar where, uh, you know, you kind of go back to a bigger main area and you run around and do stuff. Uh, but I, I did not get to see any of that. Uh, but, you know, lots of different weapon types, like lots of kind of the stuff you expect. It's all there. Um, you know, the characters look great. Um, some of the effects in the world look really solid. It's just, it's, if you've been waiting for Monster Hunter on Switch, this is it. <laughs> I have gotten so far as to download it. Okay. I yeah. didn't know you could download uh, Switch games or demos, for that matter, from the website. You sure can. It's it's pretty handy, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a modern console. I I mean, it's weird. <laughs> I don't want to give them too much credit, but yes, that is a thing that you've been able to do. I think since it launched, and uh, I use it a lot. First time, well, last week is the first time for everything. Um, yeah. you should, you should check that out. I'd, I'd be interested to hear your take on it. Uh, I know you're not like the biggest monster hunter person, but it, it feels like it might be a little easier to do drop in, drop out and, um, maybe less of an emphasis on multiplayer for better or worse. Um, yeah, I mean, just world was too much stuff going on for me to, to stick with it. Well, and to be fair that that's kind of just monster hunter. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm. But I guess what I need to figure out is like, does does the Switch version, is that, does that feel like less? Is it actually less, or is it really just the same? And this is just a series I'm not going to get into. Yeah, I, I mean, I will say I've tried playing the the older like 3DS games and couldn't do it because it just felt. I, I kind of got that same feeling from those games. Like this just feels like a lot of systems I have to learn, and for that form factor and like that small of a screen, it was just asking my brain too much to try and process. Um, I think world did a better job of streamlining that if for no reason other than it just takes advantage of, you know, having more screen space to work with. But mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to think if, if I've got the sense of, of rise simplifying any of that and it, it might streamline a few things. Um, but you don't you don't really get a feel for like you know what the crafting system might be like for example um and right. you're st- you're still gathering parts from monsters when you finish hunting them so you know presumably you're very much still crafting armor and weapons over the course of the game but i guess the question is like how involved does that get um mm-hmm. and i i don't know i think it's i think that's kind of a staple of the series though so this may just be one of those things where it's just more systems than you want to engage with. Yeah. But. Which is weird because like, uh, I have admittedly tried to play escape from Tarkov, like on a, like somewhat regular basis. That too is a game that has a lot going on. 
uh, yeah. from like weapons and its attachments to the ammo that goes into it to the gear that you wear and all the considerations that you have to make on like uh how much you weigh to uh like how much actual armor you have and like what you could possibly sustain like they're not one-to-one games but i i do think that there are similarities into like how many systems that they have like going on at any given time yeah yeah i agree i think i think there's a lot there but you know they they present those systems in such different ways and you engage with them in such different ways that i don't know i i feel like i feel like tarkov might do a better job of at least at first just sort of letting you be in the space and not having to engage with all that with all of the extra stuff going on. Yeah. Um, especially because the progression in that game is so much slower. So like you're yeah. sort of, you kind of are, I'll be generous and say that you're given the time to learn those things, but also you're sort of forced to go slow. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to make time for that demo and just kind of get a feel. That's cool. Yeah, you should. Uh, I would. I, I suspect you'll get a feeling pretty fast for how you feel about uh, whether you're interested in playing it further or not, but I, I would definitely want to hear your thoughts on it. Um, other than that, I, I played through a bunch of other like Switch demos that have been sitting around on my Switch for a while uh, that are not worth mentioning here because they're old. Um, yeah. Except to say, I finally played the Hyrule Warriors demo, and I think that game runs like dog shit, but... I understand why people are so into it because it totally feels like a natural extension of breath of the world of the wild. And it's very impressive what they've done with that. So that's cool. Uh, mm-hmm. I look forward to maybe playing that on a, and an improved version of the hardware at some point in the future. But um, they, they do make dynasty warriors on steam. You're right. So. They do, but I don't care about those and <laughs> I could be made to care about a Zelda one. So uh, I don't know. Um, I played a whole bunch more Yakuza Like a Dragon uh, on the stream last week. And that game is fucking bonkers. Uh, (laughs) And that was really showcased the other night, last week. Oh, man. Just like so many WTF moments packed into a three-hour presentation there. Like that was was wild. Like I know that all of the the Yakuza games get pretty silly and weird in really fun ways, but this one just kind of feels like it says, okay, the series has a legacy of this stuff. We've got a new character. We're going to do some new things because we're, we're packaging this game into a different format, right? It's an RPG now instead of a a brawler in terms of combat. I mean, it's still the let's, let's be really clear these games are all RPGs, right? Like in the truest sense, like you're, you're running around, you're interacting with NPCs, you're doing quests, you've got inventory systems. Like these are RPGs. The fighting is just sort of a, it's an add on. Right. But, okay. But, but you know, like a dragon leans into that RPG ness by saying, we're going to do a full on turn based combat system now, Um, which ends up being much more, Engaging and interesting is you get more mechanics of that unlocked over time because uh, you you really do get something more akin to what you'd see in like a Final Fantasy or I don't know a Dragon Quest. Uh, <laughs> why would you Why would you reference that game? Oh, no reason other than the fact that uh, Ichiban, the main character, is obsessed with it and talks about it all the time, um, to the point where 
<laughs> he sees himself as so much of an RPG hero, like video game hero character, that you reach a point in the game where for some stupid reason there's like a nail bat stuck in the ground and <laughs> n- neither of his two friends he's hanging out with at the time can pull it out. And he just says, oh, I'll give it a shot. And he goes and it just goes into this ridiculous, like very anime like sequence of like, you know, like powerful aura coming off of him. And he like pulls the thing out of the ground. There's this big shaft of light that goes up into the air. It's, it's very funny. Um, and then from that point forward, every band of enemies that you encounter on the street and like, you know, you've been fighting various hoodlums and, uh, you know, ne'er do wells throughout the entire Yakuza series. But from now on, whenever you enter a battle, they all transform into some alternate version that's like more like an exaggerated version of what they actually are, which is hilarious. Um, (laughs) Because I remember like the first time it happens, I'm like, wait, did they just change? Like what's happening here? Uh, And then sure enough, the fight wraps up and Ichi is asking them like, whoa, did you see those guys transform? And they're like, what are you talking about? dude? (laughs) What is wrong with you? Yeah. and they even call out, like, do whatever you're seeing. It's just in your head. Uh, and, and they continue to make fun of him for, like, having these delusions of grandeur, uh, which is great. Um, I'm trying to think of... Oh, so then there's, like, these two other uh, big moments that happened where you meet this really weird-looking guy in a lab coat um, who basically introduces you to you know, the game's notion of like a bestiary, right. And like keeping logs of all the enemies you've encountered. But, uh, he refers to all the random denizens of, uh, Yokohama as, uh, well, and actually Ijincho is where you're at. Um, he refers to them as Sujimon, which is, uh, you know, people who give you the jitters, right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, and he gives you a Suji Dex and he is totally like (laughs) a really creepy, Professor Oak stand in with like a big scar on his face and with a weird, creepy voice. And he makes you pick between a red suited, blue suited or green suited Yakuza guy to like do as your first fight. It's very funny. Um, and so that yeah, you're just fighting creepy Sujimon throughout the rest of the game, it turns out. Um, and then, oof, man, I think maybe the, the, the coup de gras was the introduction of the, of the game's uh, summon system. Oh Yeah. Um, and I think, I, I don't remember, this might've been right after you dropped off. Uh, I don't know if you had the chance to catch up, but, um, yeah, this game has summons like a final fantasy might. And, uh, <laughs> you are introduced to them by picking up a flyer off of the ground for a, uh, a service called pound mates. And you're in <laughs> kind of like the, you know, the sex uh, the sex worker district of town when you find this. And so one of your friends is like, ah, yeah, uh, I'm going to call this number. It says the first person to call gets a free visit. Like, why would I not do this? And you know, you and your other friend are like, this seems like a very bad idea. But also how could you possibly be the first? This flyer has been on this ground for who knows. Exactly. Exactly. It's preposterous. Like there's no way he could have been the first person to call. It's adorable that he thinks that that's going to work out for him. So he calls the number and suddenly this big giant beefy dude just leaps off of the roof next door after he gets off the phone and he's your pound mate. That's, that's what they're called. It's their pound mates. And, uh, it turns out that pound mates are in fact not a sex service at all. They are a fighting service, even though their flyer looks very much like, you know, 
you're ordering an escort, but it's all silhouettes of characters and including like a very sexy lady looking silhouette. So, you know, uh, Adachi would be forgiven for assuming that that's what's going to happen. And so yeah. then you get to use your, you use your pound mate in battle to test him out. And there's this great animation of Ichi, like very intensely swiping on his phone, which, you know, you've probably seen a gif of perhaps. <laughs> and, um, and then your pound mate shows up and beats the ever living hell out of your enemy. And it's great. And so then you, you can unlock more of these pound mate summons through sub stories that you play throughout the game. And I, I ended up unlocking the next one immediately afterward, uh, through another really weird encounter with people. Yeah. I uh, missed all that. Uh huh. Yeah. I'm not going to spoil it for you. Uh, you should go watch the rest of the archive. It's, it's pretty great. I will say that it involves babies and I will say nothing else about it. Great. Uh-huh. Uh, it not, no relation to the locker baby thing from earlier in the game. Oh, okay. So fun, not serious, sad. Yes. Very fun. Depending on what your definition of fun is, but fun. <laughs> You'll see what I mean. <laughs> right. Uh, anyway, that game's great. Oh, also alarm cocks. I'm just going to throw that one out right. there too. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, like the staying awake in the movie theater minigame. Like, for as much as this game is great in being serious with its plot development and, like, having really well-written story and, like, establishing characters that you kind of care about and are interested to learn more of, um, it just goes some very strange places to keep things interesting uh, during any time when you're not watching cutscenes. Um, it's, it's delightful. I, I wish I had gotten... I feel like... If I had gotten just six more hours of playtime with it uh, last year, it almost definitely would have ended up on my top games list for for 2020. So I'm a little sad that that didn't work out, but uh, I'm enjoying the hell out of it. Well, and good news. Uh, top 10 lists don't have to be from 2020. So. You're right. You're right. They don't. I, th I think I snuck. I mean, I put control on my list this year, so, you know, uh, anything's possible. Yeah, man. Uh, and then the last thing I'll touch on briefly, even though we've talked about it, you've talked about it a lot on the show. I talked about it last week, um, but I've been playing a lot of Spider-Man remastered on my PlayStation five and just so continue to be so impressed by that game. Um, there's a, a clip I made the other day to kind of showcase what the ray tracing can do. Um, like there's the, there's a spot in Times Square you can stand in where like you get on the top of this little like coffee shack and the whole oh, yeah. roof is reflective. Um, so I just had Spidey climb up on that and did like a really slow 360 pan around him to show off all the signs and stuff bouncing off of the, the roof. And I need to upload that. But it's man, just the game looks gorgeous in motion. It's I understand why it was so hyped when it first came out. Um, yeah. And, and getting to play it now in this like kind of, you know, higher fidelity, you know, better graphical quality version is, is even more delightful. Um, the definitive edition. Indeed. If, if I will, I will indeed. Um, yeah, that game's cool. There's already been some really interesting story developments. Uh, I like the way that they're, you know, introducing characters that you're familiar with. Um, you know, the, the, just the act of, traversing New York city and swinging around is incredibly satisfying, which is good. Cause you spend a lot of time doing that in the early hours of that game. Um, have, have you gotten to the, uh, disappointing Mary Jane stealth sequences yet? Uh, yeah, I did the first one of those. Um, it was fine. I don't know. Like I, I didn't have to, I, 
Well, so yeah, I've just done the one, like the very first one, and you're only doing stealth with her for like, what, two minutes at most? Yeah. So that one's not too bad, but I've heard that there are more of them. Yep. Yep. So that's fun. Um, not not necessarily looking forward to those, but uh, I don't know. It's I, I don't hate it yet in terms of that part of the gameplay, but like I said, I've only... I've only seen the first one, so I have no idea of what's, I, I don't know how like tedious it gets or whatever. And like, right. Keep in mind, you're talking to someone who is like a longtime fan of the metal gear series. And I really like stealth gameplay when it's done well. Um, that's, Oh yeah. See, I mean, I love, I love stealth games, but what I, what I am saying and have said is really like, they don't do it well. I don't think, yeah, I don't think those sequences play. No, I'm, I'm sure they don't. I mean, it, it worked for that one instance uh, where they kind of introduce it. But I can see how if you start having to do that a lot um, and like for much longer periods of time, it's probably I, I can just see how it's probably not a good time. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I've played up through the point at which um, I'm trying to remember the last story beat thing that happened. Oh, I had the the big fight with Shocker in the bank. Um, mm. And that was fun. Um I, I like the way that they've done boss fights so far. Granted, I've only done two of them, um, but so far their design seems to be pretty good. Um, I've been doing a thing that I probably shouldn't be doing. And every time I get into a new, new district, I just unlock all the towers and immediately go try and knock off all of the collectible things that I can do uh, as fast oh. as possible so that I can then like move on to... I had this idea in my head that if I do that and if I clear all the districts out early in the game of everything there is to do, then I'll be able to critical path the story from then on out and just really like, you know, mainline it and and experience it. Um, and I have realized with the unlocking of the research stations that this is a stupid plan because <laughs> if, if I waste time clearing a district of just like backpacks and landmarks up front, uh, there's, you know, research stations that get added and then there's going to be, and obviously the, 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 you know, the thug crimes that take place on the streets. Um, yep. But there's like two more activity types that I haven't even unlocked yet that are going to get added to each right. district. And I'm just like, okay, I'm going to just do stuff in whatever order I need to, and it'll be fine. Uh, and I, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that's the better way to play that game, but uh, yeah, that, that, that game bumps, man. It's what it's I really solid. like about that, that shocker fight. Um, and it's it's really more about the game itself than the than the fight, but I think in most games where you kind of have a boss fight like that, you tend to stay just on the ground the entire time. Right. But what I learned very quickly in that fight was just kind of web swing to avoid those, yeah. those big sweep attacks. Yeah, I had that same thing happen where I was just running around on the ground and I would try and time my dodges and it worked okay, but it wasn't as effective. And then I sort of just had the moment I was like, Oh, you know, this is a big room. I could probably swing. Um, and suddenly like, Oh yeah, now I'm just running circles around and this is great. <laughs> uh, and, and I think it's stuff like that where like, I guess that's what I'm talking about when I talk about the design of the boss fights being good. Cause like they take advantage of all the mechanics available to you. Um, and kind of give you, they put you in situations where if, if you're thinking about it, you can really use Spider-Man's full arsenal, at your disposal, right? And and just literally run circles around a boss. And you know, the the bot like 
there's patterns to learn and the bosses have interesting attacks. And so you have to think your way through how you're going to solve, uh, you know, more or less what is the puzzle of that fight. Right. But yeah. Um, but it feels really good doing it and you feel like a, you feel like a dang Spider-Man. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm loving it. I'm, I'm hoping that that trend continues. But it definitely does. Great. Excellent. Are Very you playing around with uh, suits at all? Like, are you are you doing side stuff to unlock a suit that looks interesting or anything like that? I mean, I'm, I'm playing side stuff, one, to clear it out so that it's not distracting me. Two, yes, to collect tokens so I can build stuff. Um, this is one of those games where the earliest things that it gives you in terms of suit power and mods are some of the things that I naturally gravitate toward anyway in these types of games. And so like I'm seeing things unlock. I'm not caring too much about a lot of it. Um, so I'm kind of waiting for, you know, new mods to come in and sweep me off my feet. But also like as I'm unlocking more talents in the talent tree, I'm or, you know, skills or whatever they call them. I'm feeling more open to swapping some mods out as certain things become less problematic. Um, mm -hmm. so I, I'm, I'm evaluating as I go. Um, I just built like the negative energy suit or whatever it's called. Uh, uh, -huh. where, uh and I like the way it looks, but I'm not convinced I'm going to keep it on cause I'll, it almost feels too distracting in a way. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm also, I'm also waiting for the right suit to show up and sweep me off my feet, uh, and give me an upside down kiss. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that one's a, that that one to do that that's available from the get go. You can that's that true. One. That's true. It's very much there. Um, I don't know. I mean, I kind of like the the advanced suit that you get, uh, you know, from Octavius pretty early on. Like a, I like the look of that. All right. I know there's some really good ones in there. I just haven't unlocked enough of them yet to to build one that I'm just super amped about. Yeah. But yeah, it's great. It's a good game. I'm I'm super happy to hear it. Yeah, I, I'm also, I'm just enjoying having that as a game. I can just like go, you know, play for an hour here and there. And no matter how much, whether it's 30 minutes or an hour or two hours, like I can do something in that game and have a really good time with it. And just, it, it is joyful to play. And, and I appreciate that. It's really good. Yep. Um, the last thing we should mention is is kind of the what is going to be a staple for a bit is the weekly Halo check-in. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we've for, for listeners who are not aware or you know have forgotten, Scott and I have been co-op playing our way through uh, the Master Chief Collection on the PC, and so uh, we wrapped up our run through of Halo Combat Evolved Anniversary Edition. Um, a couple two nights ago uh for when you hear this but um <laughs> yeah so so what what are your thoughts on on halo ce like now that we finished reach and you've seen you know which you knew reach already but you know now that we've recently re-experienced reach and what is like the final well not i guess not bungie's final entry into the halo series compared to combat evolved which is where this all started um I'd love to to get your impressions, especially because the whole back half of Halo CE was brand new to you. Right. So, I mean, I've, I, I bought the PC version of Halo, uh, combat evolved, uh, when that came out and for whatever reason, I just ended up only getting about halfway through, which I didn't, I had never really known how far I was in that game. 
until we started playing this. And then I was able to kind of determine where I was at. And I was exactly halfway through. Nice. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, as far as like Bungie's last Halo game to their first, like they definitely learned a lot and they, they figured out what pacing is. <laughs> you don't say. Uh, but I totally get what people found so endearing and like memorable about the first Halo and why they would go back to it, why they would replay it, why they would do it in co-op, all, like all of those things. Like I get, like I understand where that love and where that admiration comes from. There are yes. certainly moments, especially in that back half, where it gets frustrating, where it gets tedious, where it's not the most fun it could be. Yep. But as kind of proven uh, the other night is like, if you've got a good conversation that can kind of get you through it, then it it doesn't really, you don't get too hung up on it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I think we were fortunate in that regard because we, we did land on some some good things to discuss while we were playing through what is probably the game's most tedious sequence by a long shot. Um, the library, the library. Uh, but I mean, you know, I mean, I think even we, we hadn't for the first 10 to 15 minutes of that level, we hadn't quite, you know, gotten to something where we were on a, an engrossing subject of conversation. And we were just kind of more commenting on, you know, what we were seeing and playing and, and, you know, I, I kept saying things to the effect of like, oh, yeah, we're going to be doing this for a while. And you're like, what are you talking about? This isn't so bad. And then suddenly like another 30 minutes has gone by and we're still in there. Yeah. <laughs> and how is the part time for that level? What was it? 15 minutes? Something like that. Yeah. It's 15 or 20. Absurd. Asinine. I don't understand. I do not get like maybe if you're playing on the easiest difficulty level and, and the enemies just like fall over. But. I mean, which we we were playing on normal. It is not the easiest, but it is normal. It's pretty easy, um, and and that's the thing is like there's some well, okay. So there are when when the floods show up, there are certain weapons that they are more vulnerable to, and that will knock them down faster. And like you know, the shotgun being one of them. Uh, what you were carrying, I was not doing that. I was sticking with, you know, kind of just your standard issue stuff. And that was dumb. That slowed us down. I should have been more actively seeking covenant weapons or like other weapon types that could bring them down faster. But even still, like, you know, we, we got to a point where we were rushing to like trying to activate the next scripted sequence when we could. But even in mm -hmm. some of those cases, you'd still have to wipe out a whole wave of enemies before it would prog progress. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like, like you said, the pacing of that level and of a lot of the back half of combat evolved is not great. D like, I don't think it actually did, but like did replaying this almost kind of dim diminish your memories of what this first game was? Well, I mean, like, yeah. Last honestly. time you really played it? Yeah. No, I mean, I have a huge amount of nostalgia for Halo Combat Evolved because, you know, we, we you and I discussed this a lot, but, you know, I I played that game for basically two years straight when it came out in 2001. It was like the thing that I played all the time, both by myself and with friends uh, and continued to play it in college when the PC release came out. Right. Like yeah. I played a lot of this game. 
Um, and granted, at some point that shifted over to multiplayer more, at least in the dorms at, at school. But like, you know, in terms of the campaign, like I would have friends over and we would just work our way through the campaign constantly and we would replay it a lot and we would push on harder difficulty levels till we were just like, un, you know, really, really good at it. Right. And, you know, it's one of those things where my memories of it are colored by, you know, a, the fact that at the time that Halo CE came out, it was a really big move forward in terms of how shooters were be, were being made. It was a massive leap forward for shooters on consoles. Cause there was really no, never anything like it at the time. Um, and a lot of the nostalgia was wrapped up, not necessarily in the game, but in the fun I was having with the people I was playing with. And so revisiting, not, that's not a comment on you, by the way, <laughs> but revisiting it now through the lens of someone who's 20 years older, right. Um, and who's been playing games for a lot longer, like, which is also weird to think about the fact that it was 20 years ago that that came out. Um, that makes my head hurt. Yeah, man. Um, you know, like you can really see where the, f you can see all the warts and all the cracks, uh, even with the fancy graphics mode switching. And even though anniversary does look very nice by comparison to the original graphics, it's just, um, you know, the underlying structural and pacing issues with that game are very obvious. And it makes me realize I didn't actually like, it's not that I, like I, I had fun playing it with you this week. I don't need to go back and play that game probably ever again is what I'll say. Yeah. Yeah. I, now that I've beat it, I don't see ever a reason to go back. No, I don't, I don't, it, which is funny. Cause like, I just, I've always thought like, Oh, this is a game I'll probably revisit every, you know, five to 10 years. And, uh, I think I'm good. I think I've played enough Halo combat evolved for the rest of my life. It'll be interesting though. If like Halo two, either has that same problem or is does not, you know? Yeah. Well, especially because I kept saying repeatedly like, oh man, I just keep thinking of all these things in Halo 2 that they improved and all these things that we have to look forward to. And uh, and even now, as we're talking about this, I, I stand by this notion that Halo 2 gets all of these things much more right and does a much better job. And I'm like, there's this little part of me in the back of my head that's worried I'm setting myself up for disappointment again. And I might be. Um, but surely it's got to be it's got to be tighter uh, and better than than CE was. Yeah, you'd hope. I mean, I guess the ending would be the only thing that stays true. <laughs> yeah, except except with the end of Halo 2, we won't have a gap of two years between games. Uh, we'll we'll be able to move right on into the next one. And so the ending will be like, all right, cool. Uh it's not, it's not going to have the same like semi enraging effect. Yeah. Um, did you, did you have any other like thoughts on your experience with it now that you've finished it up completely or, you know, any other notable moments worth bringing up? Um, I mean, it still does feel special. Like, I mean, I think like that ending is really cool and just sure. Yeah seeing the ring break apart like there's just some part of it where it's it's one of those games that is it's a classic you can see it even now why why it's thought of the way that it is yeah that's um, fair from a gameplay perspective i think us focusing on different weapon types was really to our benefit and maybe it's only going to be like 
a big deal in this first one and not really any others or anything. Mm-hmm. But for me to have like a shotgun and you focusing on other weapons, I, I felt like provided a balance and we weren't fighting for over ammo. So that, so that made it so I pretty much never ran out of ammo of what I was using yep. and could constantly keep the bigger enemies off of you. Yeah. And that was, that was a, a conscious decision I made from lots of experience of playing that game. Like I knew that that was going to be to our benefit. Uh, and I stand by that decision. And so I'm glad that it worked out that way. Um, mm. And it allowed us to focus on different enemy types as well, and particularly once the flood showed up. So it was it was it had a lot of utility. It really did. Well, so I, I'm curious if that strategy is a thing that we continue to need to do or it's not going to be like it doesn't need to happen like that. I, yeah, I think it's going to be situational depending on the level and depending on, you know, the enemy types we'll be facing. Like, you know, we didn't really have that issue in Reach, for example, right? Um, right. And and I think it becomes more a thing of uh, what, what Bungie did a good job of as they moved forward into the Halo series was um, they design levels around, you know, combat puzzles in a certain way and like needing to equip certain weapons to help deal with particular situations. But I don't think, I don't know that it becomes necessary to do what we did in terms of like, you know, having both each of us has to focus on a particular combat role. Uh, I think you can, you can have some crossover a little more easily, but um, that's not to say we shouldn't employ the strategy if it seems useful again. Yeah. Well, yeah. So um, I, I look forward to like the enhancements for Halo 2 and just kind of working our way through that series. And we had to break up halo one into two sessions but it it may seem possible to do halo two in one go like we did reach yeah i think we could very reasonably have we could technically have done um we could have done halo ce in one sitting if we had been willing to play for six hours straight um, cause I think, yeah. I think our total play time was around six to six and a half hours, but, um, yeah, I think, uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see, we'll see if we can hit that magic one run, uh, again, but I'm not gonna, uh, we didn't desync this time. That's true. We did not have the desync issue. And I accidentally, uh, access the terminal but i i button mashed my way out of it so it wouldn't be possible for us to desync right well and we still don't even know um we still don't even know if if the terminal was actually the thing to blame although it seems like a reasonable uh like a reasonable assumption to make yeah totally so it, it was a little too coincidental for it not to be the cause yeah, I agree. Um, well, we'll find out. Uh, and, and we'll be picking up Halo 2 anniversary starting next Monday. So that should be enlightening, I expect. I hope. I hope so, too. Uh, that's a game... I I only played Halo 2 Vista. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't believe I got very far because my computer at the time was very underpowered for most modern games at the time. So, mm-hmm. so my experience was severely hampered. So I, I just didn't get far at all. So I, in reality, Halo two is going to be basically all new to me. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And I did not play the campaign of Halo 2 nearly as many times as I did CE, so some of that's going to be new to me as well. Looking forward to it. Uh, well, I think that's going to wrap up the, the games we've been playing section. And for the first time in several weeks, I actually have some news items I'd like us to touch on very quickly. All right. So uh, this week on the 12th, uh, NVIDIA hosted another uh, live stream event uh, to announce a bunch of new stuff. Uh, you and I had speculated a lot about what that might end up being. And none of what I thought was going to be there was there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, was, for I, I was way off. Sam tonight. Um, so what they did announce was... Uh, I'm going to like kind of focus on the high notes um, and actually let, let's back up a second. So with the theme of this particular set of announcements ended up being was um, a focus on bringing the 30 series to the more mainstream audience and, you know, introducing another new, uh, another new card in the 30 line that can target kind of, you know, everyone else more or less. And so they announced the RTX 3060, uh, which is not to be confused with the already released 3060 Ti, mind you, <laughs> which is like sometimes, man, sometimes their, their product naming scheme just drives me nuts. Um, but whatever. It's particularly the, the order of operations here, I think is what gets me. It's like, why, why did they release the Ti version first? I don't understand. Um, but the, the 3060, uh, has 12 gigabytes of GDDR6. Uh, it's faster than a 2080 Super um, in terms of its performance on, I think, 1080p resolution. Okay. Um, they showed, like, pretty significant gains over the 2060 and a lot, like, massive, like, laughable gains over the 1060, which is important to note because... And this is the thing that stood out to me, you know, according to their metrics, and I imagine they're measuring this through a combination of, you know, GeForce experience and probably like Steam hardware survey or something. Um, 90% of NVIDIA's install base is still on the GTX series. That's, that's a massive, like, you know, it, 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 that's most of the people who have NVIDIA cards are still on the GTX cards. Um, Which is not too surprising because... Uh, the RTX 20 series was rather expensive. It was very expensive. Um, there were similar supply constraint issues at its launch, but not nearly as bad as this. But also there were just, there wasn't as much demand for it because like you like the price went way up and yeah, it introduced ray tracing, but the performance gains over the 10 series weren't as good unless you were willing to spend a lot. Um, and so a lot of people did decide in, uh, to sit and hang out on the Pascal architecture, uh, which is the 10 series, and wait. When, and, I, and that includes me. Like, I got a lot of mileage out of my 1080. And so now they're they're looking at the data and they're like, okay, you know, the 3080s, 3090s, even the 3070s are kind of still more geared toward the enthusiast market, right? Or the high-end um, people who are looking for, you know, 4K gaming performance, who are looking for, you know, really good performance at, 1440 even. Um, but since the majority of people are still on a 10 series card and 
the 60 tier of their GPUs, both in the 10 and 20 series, they've said are their most popular uh, SKU, which is also really interesting to me. Um, also maybe tells me a lot about myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's like the 3060 is like the thing that they think is going to get people to finally move upward and, and say like, Hey, look, you know, we know that these cards are expensive. We know that people want this performance. So this is it. This is what you've been waiting for. It's, it's, uh, and it's priced at 329, which I mean, I don't know off the top of my head how that stacks up to previous 60 level cards, but at least compared to everything else in the 30 series, like that's a pretty reasonable price point, I think. Yeah, I mean it's not like cheap, but it is not it is not an exorbitant amount of money either. Exactly. I think I think especially if you've been hanging out on the 10 series for a while and if you're if you're on a 1060 or a 1070, you know, you could look at a 3060 and be like, "Yes, that is my way forward." And particularly if you don't care that much about ray tracing, um, then you stand to get a really nice performance boost out of a 3060 as opposed to an older card uh, card. So, um so that was kind of the main thing that they talked about. And then they also introduced the new line of 30 series powered uh, lap gaming laptops. And so they have models coming out based on 3060, 3070 and 3080. Um, you know, kind of their their talking points were like the 3060 laptops can do you know, like 90 frames a second or higher at ultra settings on any game, like a 1080p resolution. Um, they talked about like they spent some time talking about how they feel like 1440p is the new baseline resolution for most gamers. Uh, I don't know how true that is, but that's their opinion. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they talked about that more when they were getting into the new lines of like uh, G sync monitors that are coming out, but they're targeting 1440p on the 3070 and 3080 uh, based laptops. Um, and they've also introduced uh they have this thing called Max Q, which is like an AI powered tech for doing power shifting. Uh, or Max Q is actually like this umbrella like name for a number of technologies they use to optimize performance and power on laptop gaming. Um, and they work with manufacturers to kind of help with this stuff. Um, but basically, you know, they do stuff to shift power draw around to the parts of the GPU or the CPU that need it most at any given time. So like, you know, if you're doing a lot of memory transfer, like you get more power over there. If you're doing more compute on the graphics processing unit, you know, power shifts away from other parts into that part of the system. Um, but that way they can, you know, they're saying like, hey, look, we can still give you really good performance and we can give you better battery life if you are gaming on a, you know, like without being plugged in. Um, so that's kind of neat, I guess, uh, to hear them talk about it. It sounds like a whole lot of people use gaming laptops and, and that's not my thing, but, um, there's certainly, it's either a thing and it's not a market what you and I are tapped into, or they're trying very hard to make it a thing. I think it's really a, a little bit of both. I, I mean, it's not anything that I pay much attention to, but it, I do feel like I see things here and there of someone going, Hey, I've got this, really old laptop how can i make it better or yeah do you know when nvidia is going to release like 30 series for laptops that, but it's not going to be so expensive yeah I, I feel like i see those things coming up more often than i used to yep yep i i think so as well um 
And they talk about how they're, you know, those laptops are really big in the, the esports scene, which I totally believe. Um, and it makes a lot of sense. They, and I think in probably non West, like non us markets, I bet they're much bigger. Um, like I, I can see like parts of Europe, uh, you know, central and South America, probably Asia, like probably every other part of the world, I can see them being more popular. And that's, I mean, I know people who have gaming laptops here and, you know, I've heard people speak pretty highly of them. Um, it's a compelling yeah, idea. Yeah, what comes to mind for me is like Origin PC. They they do a lot of uh, laptop uh, builds and then Razer yes. kinda, mm-hmm. has a big focus on that too. Yeah. Um, God, they... I want to see if this is in that press release. You said, yeah, I was... Yeah. So they said that they're launching over 70 models of these 30 series laptop GPUs uh, or rather 30 series laptops. Uh, across multiple vendors, so um, I think I think it's getting to be more than just those particular manufacturers. Like, because this was a very niche kind of thing. It was like Alienware and Razer, and I guess like probably you know builders like Origin making these things, right? And mm-hmm. yep, now you've got all kinds of companies getting in on this. Uh, so clearly, there's a market. Um, so that's kind of neat. Uh, the other thing that they talked about with the gaming laptops, and this is the big one is, um, you know, AMD announced their smart access memory tech for their GPUs, like the, for the RDNA two stuff running on the, um, the Zen three platform as well. Right. Uh, so, you know, idea being you get an additional like five to eight, I think five, somewhere, somewhere between five and 10% performance boost on the AMD system for using all AMD stuff with a PCI four bus. Right. Um, so NVIDIA had said, yeah, we're going to respond with something similar. And so they spent a lot of time talking about that with regard to the laptops. And so this, you know, smart access memory is, is AMD's, uh, like fancy branding name for what is commonly referred to as resizable BAR or BAR, which is, uh, I don't remember what that acronym stands for, but uh, it's a feature of big ass RAM. Say what? Big ass RAM, big ass RAM, resizable, big ass RAM. Yep. I like the sound of that. (laughs) We're sticking with it. Um, And NVIDIA is doing things a little differently. So like they're just saying like, Hey, this is included on all these 30 series laptops. Uh, And what, you know, what resizable bar does for you is it lets the GPU talk to the RAM more or less directly. Um, that's not exactly it. Like there's magic smoke in here somewhere, but basically now instead of having to buffer everything through the CPU, you get like way more bandwidth on the PCIe bus to pull data straight out of RAM uh, into the GPU. So you get faster load no more times. Middleman. F- huh? No more middleman. No, that's right. Get them out of there. Um, faster frame times in particular, which I think is, you know, where you start to see these benefits and, uh, come forward. So that makes a lot of sense on a laptop platform. Uh, they have said that this is going to be supported on the desktop as well. You'll need to have a supportive motherboard and a supportive graphics card and the new driver. Um, the driver's coming out in late February, they said. Um, and it's already going to be on the new laptops that are com- when they come out. Uh, but the driver for desktops won't be out till late February. They're also waiting on updated VBIOS from uh, the various you know partner manufacturers like EVGA, ASUS, uh, MSI, all those. Um, the tricky thing is, so 
you don't need to be on PCIe 4 to take advantage of this with NVIDIA's flavor of it, which is great because um, that's a requirement on AMD's version. The downside is Intel is only going to support back to... So their new 11th and 12th gen processors that are both coming out this year will support this. And they said select 10th generation processors will support it. Everything earlier, too bad. Uh, so you and I sitting on our ninth gen CPUs that we both just got are shit out of luck, <laughs> unfortunately. Yep. Um, but you know, I think you, you said it well, or, you know, variants of this well, when I was talking with you about it the other day, which is like, well, you know, like, yeah, you could upgrade, uh, for a super nominal performance grade, uh, increase. So, eh. Yeah, it's just going to have to be one of those things where we wait for benchmarks, we wait for real-world testing to see if any of this really matters. Yeah, exactly. I do think, like, between both AMD and Intel, you know, coming out with their new CPUs and with all the, like, everything doing hardware refresh right now, there's sort of been, uh, it's kind of been, you know, it's the, it's the forever question as a, someone who might build PCs is, when should I upgrade? Um, I think we're finally at the point where you're safe to do it if you want to do it. And I mean, technically, like, the answer to that question is always like, well, just do it if you're ready to do it, right? Because um, if you wait, you'll be waiting. If you're waiting for the next best thing, you'll always be waiting for that. But now that this is happening, I think, like, 2021 is is your year if you haven't done it yet and if you're thinking about doing it. Um, and, and now you've got even more options in terms of how that might go for you. Um, but I don't know. It's, we, you and I have said this a lot, but I think it's a real good time to be a PC gamer in terms of hardware. It is. I feel like this event in particular didn't do anything for me. Like oh, no. Didn't, there was nothing it said to me that mattered, really. Didn't, uh, didn't reach out and touch you? No, no, it did not. Yeah. Uh, one of the, so I'm looking here. It says 12 gigs of right ram that's more than what you have for your 3080 is it not so so yes my 3080 has 10 gigabytes of ram the 3060 has 12 gigabytes but the 3080 has gddr6x which is the fancy new shit um which also has a wider bus and can push more data through faster so you know the 3060 is just regular gddr6 uh, which is still really fast, but the bus is narrower. Uh, it's not pushing quite as much through. And honestly, even when I was gaming at 4K recently with this thing, I was not coming anywhere close to that 10 gigabyte ceiling. Um, so, like, they're definitely wanting... They're putting a lot of RAM on these cards to future-proof them. Um, but And also, the speculation is NVIDIA like jammed a whole bunch of extra RAM onto the 3060 to try and be more competitive with the, the large amounts of RAM that AMD is putting on their cards. Uh, yeah. Which is also what's fueling speculation of like a 3080 TI or a 3080 something that has super. like super or an ultra or whatever they're going to call it. That's got, you know, slightly increased clock speeds uh, and just a whole lot more RAM on it. So um, like I saw that and I was like, well, I got the better RAM on this card and I don't care about an extra two gigs of VRAM right now. Like it, it, it'll be fine. But you like it when the numbers go up. I do like it when the numbers go up, but I don't know if I care about it going up too. <laughs> <laughs> and I, my RAM is faster, so I don't care. 
Yeah. Like if they need to swap stuff out, I make up the difference on that end. Um, yeah, I was I was thinking they'd have some more, uh, some more like high end stuff to try and stay competitive with what AMD is doing. But I do think these announcements make a lot of sense in terms of trying to go after the more mainstream audience. So, um, and they didn't really talk about like supply for the cards that came out in yeah. September, right? Well, like right. That was oh no, like the big no. missing thing. They, they didn't go anywhere close to that. And they certainly didn't discuss it with respect to supply on these new 3060 cards. Like who knows what that's going to look like. Uh, probably also just as hard to get a hold of. Um, the only thing that might be a saving grace here is like, as they continue to expand the product line, it might, you know, loosen up demand on each of them a little bit or spread it around more evenly. I don't really know. Um, but they're all going through that same Samsung eight nanometer process. Uh, so if the constraint on supply is because of making the GPU dies, then I don't think this is going to help with that problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they keep saying that, you know, or the thing that you keep hearing is that they'll be caught up by April or so. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see that stretch out a little further. Yeah, neither would I. Especially not with the new, um, the way the tariffs on stuff coming in from China has um, affected pricing on things. Um, which which might be enough to keep people away from buying, therefore it's possible. makes things yeah. available for purchase. I don't know. In- entirely possible. Um, you know, like you see companies, you see some of the manufacturers just jacking up their MSRPs uh, to offset the fact that it's costing them more to import these things. And then you see some of the partner manufacturers saying like, no, we're, we're going to honor the original price if you were already in line. Um, So that's, that's an interesting mix. I'm hopeful that we'll just see that, that change so that the tariff goes away again, or like the exception comes back, I guess is really more what it was, but also like, well, and like, we know how that's affecting GPU prices. I'm curious to see how this affects other things and availability of other uh, commodities. Yeah. All right. That's, that's all I got to say about the NVIDIA announcements. Uh, it's a long winded way of saying if you were holding out on a 30 series card, uh, 30, 60 is looking pretty good. It's, uh, it's very attractive. Like I feel like, yeah. I mean, I've had a 60 series card in the past and it's, didn't it didn't you know it did right by me there was no issues that i had with it and it's a totally viable card i but i do i do feel like i've gotten very snobby about the 60 series or anything less than an 80 like yeah you know i have a 2080 before this i had a 1080 and my next card is going to be a 3080 like i've gotten very snobby about which card i end up buying but well and that's 3060 sounds very good we are squarely in the enthusiast market you and i and so like I relate to everything you're saying, but I also like, I'm trying to remember that like, you know, we don't actually represent the majority of, of people playing games on the PC. Um, no, if, if that 90% of, of NVIDIA gamers being on the GTX line is any indication <laughs> like that, th- that, that, uh, that presentation was not for us and that's okay. Um, I am, I'm excited that they're doing that. Um, one other very fast news item this is going to take 10 seconds. Uh, Mario 3D World and Bowser's Fury for Switch has finally been given a release date. It comes out February 12th. It's very soon. 
Just in I'm, time for Valentine's Day. Yeah, yeah. Just in time for that special someone who really likes putting Mario and Peach and Luigi and Toad into cat suits. Uh, Bowser, Bowser's Fury is a new add-on for the game, so that's exciting. And I did I read right that this has online multiplayer now? Um, I I do believe, and I was seeing like comparison screenshots of like Bowser's Fury with some other Mario game mm-hmm. or something. There's like a very like clear like scene remaking kind of thing that took place as part of this Bowser's Fury thing. I don't yeah. I don't know what that's about necessarily. I don't either. Um, but it looks cool. Yeah. Okay. So yes, there there is online multiplayer for the entire original uh, 3D World game, which is awesome. Um, I think that's a great addition. So I'm excited about that. Uh, I hope to I, I hope to pick it up around launch. So <sighs> okay, we've finally come to the penultimate section of the show in which we read some emails. Uh, emails. <laughs> oh boy, we got to come up with our own thing for that um gmails gmails oh boy (laughs) uh okay we are not accepting corrections but i'm going to read these corrections from ed um ed writes regarding last week's episode scott mentions around the 40 minute mark uh about the burden assassin's creed valhalla not having an attack uh it in fact has a harass ability that you can unlock just like an odyssey Uh, okay do you have a rebuttal to this (laughs) No, because I haven't gotten there. So as, as far as I'm aware, it does not have a harass feature or ability. So for so what you, what, what for you me, said it is, is true accurate. for your experience. <laughs> yeah. Uh, around the 50-minute mark, Scott says you only stealth attack higher enemies. This is only the case for these zealots. Uh, there's an ability upgrade where you can perform a timing button press where if you press correctly, you can still assassinate higher-level enemies. Uh, uh, pretty much a, I, everything that I just said before still holds true. It, yep. My experience uh, is that I can't do the things that I want to do. Yep. But if there are abilities that will allow this, then I do look forward to it. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Ed is saving contents resident Assassin's Creed Valhalla expert and beat reporter uh, with his 159 and a half hours put into the game. So And platinum trophy to prove yeah, it. Yes, that's Tony true. Tony has awarded him the platinum trophy. Yep. He has, he has it, was a big, it was a great ceremony. I had a great time. Did you have a great time? Oh, I had a lovely time. It was gorgeous. Uh, I can't believe they do that for everyone who gets a platinum. It's just, really amazing. It's one of my favorite features of, of the PlayStation ecosystem by far. Uh, so as far as actual emails go, uh, this is, as you have noted in our doc, th- this is turning into the Ed email of the week section, which is fine. Um, but I do want to encourage anyone who's listening to feel free to shoot us in any kind of questions that you can think of. Uh, doesn't have to be video game related. Can be. Um, you can you can write into quicksave at savingcontent.com with questions. Uh, and we would love to hear them. That being said, uh, this week's question once again comes in from Saving Content's own Ed Acosta. Ed writes, Good day. Uh, here's a quickie for you guys. Do you rinse your dishes before putting them in the dishwasher? And what's your reasoning for it? I'll let you go first. Oh, thank you. Uh, so, interestingly, I've replaced uh, our dishwasher uh, a few months ago because yeah. the one that we got when we moved into this house died. It was brand new at the time, and womp, it just womp. didn't hold. It was, a, you know, it was basically the the cheapest model that you could get of the dishwasher, and so it just 
wasn't built to last. Yep. Uh, with that old dishwasher, we did have to pre-rinse, as it's called. Uh, with this new one that we got, it, it it's a Bosch, and it's like top of the line. It is the best of the best, and it pretty much says in the manual, don't pre-wash. You don't need to. Okay. And and so we don't. And so currently we do not pre, pre-rinse or pre-soak or any, anything like that. I mean, obviously, like whole ass food will will throw away or sure, you know, put in the disposal or whatever. But I mean, like if it's spaghetti night or whatever, we're we're not washing the sauce off. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It it does depend a lot on how powerful your dishwasher is. Uh, I've I've grappled with dishwashers who give zero fucks and you can put whatever in there and they'll take care of it. And I've I've dealt with dishwashers who want to do the bare minimum and who are you're pretty much asking for a second run if you don't rinse ahead of time. Um, I've gotten into the habit now of pre-rinsing and in some cases pre-scrubbing, mainly because nothing pisses me off more than uh, than having to rewash a dish. <laughs> um, <laughs> which I realize, like, I'm technically doing this already, but... Man, if it comes out of the dishwasher and it's been like, you know, heat blasted by the dryer and like any food that was left on it is now like fused to the surface of a plate. Uh, it's a it's <laughs> yeah. a bummer because you've got to you got to hand scrub that thing way harder. And uh, I like I like the guarantee that my dishes are going to come out clean. Also, if you're pre-washing, you're pre-rinsing at least your dishes before you put them in there there's a lot less food buildup uh, in the like little internal garbage disposal and filtration system that your dishwasher has. Uh, yeah. The trap. Yeah. The trap. Um, some of them actually have like a full on like little garbage disposal that, that, that spins, which is pretty neat. Um, or most of them do even. I had to clean my dishwasher out for the first time in my entire life uh, of several months ago because our dishwasher was developing a habit of just smelling kind of nasty um, yeah. over time. And then you'd run it and it would go away for a little while and it would come back or you'd run it and be worse. Um, so there is a proper way to clean these things. And I looked up how to do it and it's apparently a thing you should be doing every six to 12 months. Um, <laughs> if you, if you have one turns out uh, cause they are one of the two dirtiest appliances in your home over time. Uh, yeah, other, I get that. The other one being the machine, what washes your clothes. Uh, you're supposed to clean that regularly too. And I have not dared to go near it because I'm terrified of what waits for me there. Um, Oh yeah. But yeah, I I took the whole thing apart and um, got a lot of really nasty stuff out of there. Uh, And my dishwasher has not had any problems since uh, in terms of smell. And I will continue to keep that the case by pre-rinsing and pre-scrubbing where necessary. And I think it's a, I just think it's a good way to go. I think it's one of those things like as an adult, you just pick up. Yeah. I mean, I, I had actually grown up without a dishwasher. Fair um, enough. So I've, I grew up, you know, just hand scrubbing and hand drying every single thing that went through. <clears throat> so like the, the luxury of having a dishwasher is still pretty incredible to me, even after all this time. Yeah. Well, and now, now you really want to take care of that thing, you know? Oh yeah. And especially it's brand new. Like now that I even know that I have to, to clean it pretty regularly, I'm, I can be ahead of it now. Yes. Well, good for you. Uh, 
So it's unanimous. Um, we, we both pre-rinse. Uh, for what it's worth, Ed mentions that he also rinses his dishes before putting them in for a lot of the same reasons we talked about. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so there you go. Got a lot, bunch of civilized people writing content for this website. Like we're doing okay. You pick some good I ones. Think, I think, yeah, I think that's a good sign. I agree. Well, with that, I think that's going to do it for this week. Uh, thanks so much for coming by and joining us on QuickSave this week. You can find me on Twitter at EV underscore row. Uh, Scott, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, Twitter as well at Hawk underscore SE until I can convince the, the person who holds the username that I want. Uh, that's what it'll be. And that's where you can find me. That's where you can find him. Uh, please remember to visit us at savingcontent.com for news and reviews. Uh, Scott, I think we've got something cool going up this week. Uh, you want to talk about that? Yeah, so um, I'm going to have a preview of a game that's entering early access uh, this coming Monday, but the embargo for previews is lifting this Friday. So the day that this podcast is going up, I will have a preview of Everspace 2. Um, really cool game. Can't actually say pretty much anything else beyond that. Okay. Uh, b- but what I think is interesting to say, though, is we are doing something new for the preview, though. Um, you and I are going through the game together in the sense that I'm going to essentially screen share the game with you, uh, with essentially no latency so that we can kind of see things in real time and experience them and have a little bit more of a natural conversation than, than if the, if I was to do it over Twitch or even discord. Yeah. So yes, we have like a joint preview coming up of Everspace 2. Uh, look for that on the site later today if you're listening to this on Friday morning. And, you know, now if you're listening to it later. Uh, for those of you listening, by the way, this was our first test run of doing the show live uh, on Twitch uh, while we record. Uh, this is something that we're probably going to start doing most of the time going forward uh, if, if we like how this works. So uh, if you're ever interested in listening to the show a couple days early, you can check that out on my channel, uh, which is twitch.tv slash Evro without the underscore. I know it's confusing. Social media is mean to me. Um, so yeah, if you have questions that you would like answered on the podcast, send them into quicksave at savingcontent.com or reach out to us on Twitter at savingcontent. Until next time, you know what they say. Mm-hmm.